This is Marilyn Monroe Radio, the only broadcast brought to you from the heart of Tinseltown, where we will revisit, re-examine, and reminisce about the life, films, career, and even the death of Hollywood's most beloved star, Marilyn Monroe. I'm your host, Samantha McLaughlin. Marilyn Monroe Radio is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please subscribe, download, review, and share this and other episodes with your friends. Okay, in the first episode of this interview with Donald McGovern, we covered the one-time tryst Marilyn Monroe and JFK had while they were both in Palm Springs. She was single and he was not. There was no long-term relationship nor any intention of becoming the first lady. Now, she did have a platonic relationship with RFK. There was no need to embellish more than what it was. The Norman Mailer's fictional novel, As If It Were, a written attempt by 13-year-old boy's fantasy to Marilyn. Also, we discussed the impossibility of Robert Kennedy leaving Gilroy, California, as he was with the Bates family, and it's backed with photographs from the entire weekend. We covered the coroner's report where the autopsy shows that Marilyn was never injected, nor was she given an enema or any suppository. We went over the pills that were swallowed versus injections. It was fascinating how McGovern gives the in-depth analysis of the chemicals in Marilyn's system, and it's very compelling. You decide for yourself. I implore you to get McGovern's book and pour over the latter chapters. Again, People, you need to read this book. It is in-depth and very well written. No book comes close to McGovern, unearthing the evidence and the sourced material that he has done for you. We poke at Frank Capel, Anthony Summers, Donald Spoto, Ted Jordan, Dr. Greenson, Dr. Engelberg, Robert Slatzer, Jeannie Carmen, Milo Spiriglio, Fred Otash, Will Fowler, Eunice Murray, Thomas Noguchi, and... John Minor. Oh, so much tea was spilled. I'm going to need a mop. This is part two of the three-part series of my conversation with Donald McGovern, author of Murder Orthodoxes, A Non-Conspiracist View of the Death of Marilyn Monroe. Enjoy. So I think what we need to talk about is the real mastermind of this entire thing is Eunice Murray. Well, you know... (laughs) I haven't read Eunice's (laughs) memoir. Maybe someday I will. My opinion of Eunice is, number one, you can't believe anything she says. That's my opinion of Eunice. I quote her in the book on occasion, but I have tried to steer clear from her. She contradicted herself too many times. Kennedy was there on August the 4th. Kennedy wasn't there on August the 4th. They had an affair. They didn't have an affair. She's almost as bad as uh, George uh, Smathers, who testified a whole lot to various writers, particularly Summers. But then when you really look into Smathers' testimony, it's so full of contradictions and silly, silly things that you can't believe him either. Marilyn had an affair with Bobby. She didn't have an affair with Bobby. She wanted to marry Bobby. She didn't want to marry Bobby. It's that kind of stuff. It's the Eunice Murray syndrome, you know. But I think Eunice admitted that she often just said what she thought sounded good. I think she was um, being recorded by, oh, I don't know who, but the mic was hot. 
And Summers. Oh, it was. Okay. And so she was saying, you know, how long, how much longer do I have to keep doing this? I think what happened was she was so dependent on Greenson for everything. He bought her home. Um, he, you know, gave her employment. Her loyalty was to him, not Marilyn. And so whatever he said went. I think she was protecting him because that was her meal ticket. And so she did whatever he told her, whatever he did that, you know, he messed up, which could have been giving her medication or what, you know, we don't know. She just did what he said. She needs him and he knows it. And I think he took advantage of her. Yeah, I think uh, Eunice was a very uh, odd person. Yes. Everything I read about her indicated that she was just strange. But when you read about her life and what she endured as a, as a, as a child, uh, you come to realize that um, a lot of her problems started in her childhood, too. Yeah, she's kind of a sad and tragic you know, character in this whole thing. In a way, I, she I do, is, yeah. Yeah, I do feel sorry for her only because, you know, that's a whatever it was. She she had to, you know, burden that. And well, I don't think were, it was a, a great, huge mastermind of, you know, them killing Marilyn. I just think she was just saving herself. Well, I just don't think you can rely on, rely on what she says. But what I was going to say is I've heard that tape, and I'm not sure it hasn't been edited. I mean, frankly, I don't know that anybody has ever taken that tape and actually studied it scientifically. A forensic. It's just uh, been... Yeah, forensically, it's just mm-hmm. it's just been played. I mean, how do we know that the tape hasn't been adjusted? And I say that partly because I don't trust Summers. I just don't trust him. There are certain things in his book uh, that I point out, particularly when it comes to the FBI file that he presented on 48 Hours. He obviously knew that the FBI file was not correct, was not presenting the facts, but he presented it anyway during that program. I met him and talked with him at a meeting. He has more pictures of Marilyn in uh, postmortem, and he said... I wouldn't doubt it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I said, well, why don't you destroy them? And he said, "Um, they're in a safe deposit box. I go, what are you saving them for? Why don't you destroy them? He's like, I won't. I'm not going to print them. He'll sell them if he has them someday. Why he hasn't done it, I don't know. Maybe he's waiting for his family to sell them. But there are more. But we don't want them. Yeah, it's her on the the slab. Mm. I'm pretty sure. I think that is such a skunkish thing for him to do. I just, that right there. I don't care who took them. Just, we don't need that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, I just could never, ever abide that. And that's one reason why I do not trust the man. I don't know him. I've never met him. I've read his book. It's Mm -hmm. it's certainly a pathography. I'll give you a prime example of what Summers did um, or how he sort of looked at Marilyn. Um, When Marilyn's movie, uh, Ladies of the Chorus, was released, it was apparently played at a theater in Van Nuys. 
and that's where she saw the the her name up in lights, and she got real excited about it, et cetera, and so forth. But Summers points out that that theater eventually became the theater that showed nothing but pornography. Now, when I read that, I asked myself, why would what does that have to do? with ladies of the chorus. What does that have to do with Marilyn in that particular situation? Well, he's obviously trying to paint a picture of something that really didn't exist concerning Marilyn. Just dragging her through the mud. Yeah, just dragging her through the mud. That's right. Necessarily. It had nothing to do with that. Nothing whatsoever to do with it. In fact, that movie was was uh, screened when in 1949. Uh, lots of different <laughs> businesses probably have come and gone in there. Yeah, but you know that that theater became a, a pornographic theater. I, I, you need to know that. <laughs> That's silly. It just it just plants in the mind of the reader something that is very very ugly and very very negative. And I don't think he had any particular feelings for Marilyn. None. Yeah, people just making a book off of Marilyn, which a lot of them do. Her name attached to something sells. Uh, yeah, you name been, it, books, movies, everything. And I've been told by a rather reliable source that uh, wrote an, uh, a biography about JFK, and this particular person had spent two, two years in the White House and had never seen Marilyn, which is something that... Uh, uh, George Smathers testified that Marilyn often wandered the White House or halls, which is a, it's preposterous. But anyway, this person submitted his uh, manuscript for publication, and the publisher came back to him and wanted to know if he couldn't get some of that Marilyn Monroe stuff in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's disgraceful. It really is. Not fit to print. Well, I guess they think if they don't have the, the, the salacious sensationalism, then they don't really have a book. I've always said, you know, her life is so much more interesting than the stuff they make up. Yeah, but you know, Marilyn doesn't really get, Marilyn the person, Marilyn the actress, what Marilyn was and what she was all about is none, in none of those books. It's not in Slatcher's book. It's not in Jeannie Carmen's book. It's not in Summer's book. The only person that sort of comes close to doing that uh, is Donald Spoto, and then, uh, and I haven't read any of the books that have recently been published. But uh, Marilyn is gets lost. She she becomes so two dimensional, and yes. it all becomes about this this murder mystery that really has no basis in fact at all. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle Morgan, in her latest yeah, Michelle book, Morgan is that her 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 biography it, is a good one. It yes. girl, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's good. She does give her a humanistic uh, feel about Well, in her, her large biography, she does. And, and, mm-hmm. and the biography by uh, Stacey Eubank is pretty good, mm-hmm. even though I know she was a researcher for uh, Lois Banner, whom mm-hmm. I, have my, I have trouble with Lois, but anyway. Well, a lot of these people, all about Marilyn and Marilyn Monroe Radio, have been consultants with. Well, I think, I think Lois became way too occupied with Marilyn's alleged sex life. Mm. It seemed to me that was what the most important thing to her was. And that was kind of like what the most important thing to uh, um, 
Mailer, and to some extent, the same with Summers. I mean, he really got involved in that. Yeah. Oh, Ted Jordan still is the top of the... Ted Jordan, yes. Yeah, Well, Jordan's book is just a, a, a pornographic book. That's all it is. Well, his book is full of, of false information, too, and, and mm-hmm. assertions about Maryland that couldn't have happened. Because he said we, he and Marilyn were here on this day, but we know where Marilyn really was. She wasn't with him, and that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, same thing with, with Jeannie Carmen. She claimed to be with Marilyn on this particular day, and we know that she wasn't. Marilyn was doing this on this particular day. So, And also running skinny dipping on the beach of Santa Monica with RFK and Jeannie Carmen. Yeah, all of that stuff. And the Getting mobsters. Getting pulled over. Yeah. Yeah. The best one I found in in, in uh, Jeannie's book though was her description of what happened the morning of August the fourth. When I read that, I thought, well, you know, okay. She said she got in her car after she was sort of slapped around by by Otash. She got in her car and drove to Fifth Helena, and she pulled over to the curb, and she parked, and there was a traffic cop outside of Maryland's house directing traffic. Now that sort of started me to thinking, now why would a policeman be outside of Maryland's house in a cul-de-sac directing traffic? And what Carmen said was that there were all there was a line of cars and all of these gawkers had already showed up. So that's what the, the traffic cop was there for. Well that makes no sense. Because if there was a line of cars they would have already clogged that cul-de-sac and nobody would have been able to move. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you There's only room invest, for one car to turn around. Yeah, well, she says also, which I find pretty humorous, that as she was sitting there at the curb, she stopped a few houses down from Maryland's, which that's not possible because there's only one house down from Maryland's. There's two yeah. houses on the corner and then there's the two houses in the cul-de-sac. There aren't several Correct. houses but then she said that she made a sh- she noticed these these fellas with walkie-talkies in their secret service suits approaching her and she got nervous so she made a sharp u-turn in fifth helena and headed out well that's certainly an impossibility when you stop to realize that in her memoir she claimed she was she was driving a huge automobile which had like a twenty seven foot turning radius. She'd never been to Maryland's. I mean, I have no idea, but obviously she didn't realize how cramped and how narrow Fifth Helena actually is. It's almost like an alleyway. Yeah, it's very small. It's very tight. Very uh, tight. Very narrow. The and now, if she's talking about, you know, uh, on Santa Monica. And how they turn in there, yeah, maybe, but... No, no. this was Fifth Helena. Okay. This was yeah. the morning of Marilyn's death. Try to give her benefit August, of the doubt. <laughs> August the 5th. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, Jeannie was something else. Well, I and, watched many of her interviews on YouTube, and she is probably one of the uh, strangest people. Very interesting woman. But in the space of about 15 minutes, I think she contradicted herself about 25 times. It's Hmm. just amazing that anybody would actually believe her. You know what I'm saying? We got that right away from her. But they kept going. I'll give them that. 
They had tenacity. Well, she appeared with Schleitzer and uh, Lionel Grandison or Samir Mukadin. Yeah, and Lionel. Jack Clemens. Mm-hmm. Jack oh, I knew Clemens Jack Clemens. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. She appeared at the uh, um, that meeting that they had prior to the 82 um, threshold investigation. It wasn't, a, wasn't really a press conference. It was a... You have a you have a group there in Los Angeles that uh, sort of I won't say runs the city, but they're kind of a group that handles a lot of stuff. I'll never I'll never remember it, but uh, <laughs> anyway, it's a it's a group of men that sort of uh, run certain things in Los Angeles. I want to hit on something about uh, Greenson and and Engelberg. The plan was, from what I read. And, and my understanding of it was is that only Engelberg was supposed to write Maryland prescriptions. Greenson was not supposed to, but then Greenson did. Mm-hmm. And Engelberg was going through a rather rough uh, divorce himself around that time. And he was writing some rather large prescriptions for his wife, who was not handling the divorce very well. And they were both, I believe, really affected by Marilyn and her, her, her celebrity and her fame and her beauty and all this kind of stuff. So I think they were both uh, acting very unprofessionally relative to her. But Engelberg was writing her prescriptions. Um, Greenson was writing her prescriptions. And I think the guy from Fox was writing her prescriptions as well. Yeah, there were three who were giving her just what she wanted. The Board of Supervisors. Oh, okay. Remembered. <laughs> the Board of Supervisors. They appeared, they appeared before the Board of Supervisors, which I guess recommended that they open the threshold investigation after listening to certain people speak about Marilyn's death. But I think the threshold investigation and the, the summary report that Ronald Carroll uh, published pretty well handles and touches upon everything. It touches upon Marilyn's uh, autopsy. It touches upon the hot shot as opposed to an ingested overdose. It touches upon Slatzer. It touches upon Grandison, uh, who was not an investigator for the uh, coroner, even though he presents himself that way. But uh, that's a pretty good report and pretty well handles, and I think dispels almost all of the murder theories, but the, the conspiracist and the book writers never mentioned that report, ever. It's never hmm. brought up. Yeah, that's interesting. He, he kept away from that because, again, things weren't so easily accessible as it is today. There were some items up for auction. This woman said that she was Joe DiMaggio's, uh, she's a relative is what she said, and but she only started selling these items after he died, post-1999. And so in 2016, she was selling these items, and they just look like uh, something off of eBay. So, you know, she even changed her last name to DiMaggio. She has oh, a you mean called. June? Yes. June, June DiMaggio? DiMaggio. Mm-hmm. They were cousins by marriage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, not her, but her, her, her radio friend. I contacted them and I showed them pictures and the auction house and so her book is completely fabricated as well. 
then uh, I got all this supporting evidence and I showed the uh, auction house and I said, that's, these aren't Marilyn Monroe items. So finally they took her items off. It was up, up in Sacramento. And, well, you know, uh, Bob Slatzer tried to sell things that were allegedly Marilyn's that proved to be uh, bogus. Yes. Proved to be fake. A lot yeah. of people do that. That's horrible. And I even believe the Strasburgs do that. Because... Anna, unless, you think so? Oh, yeah. I'm Because who's going to question them? And nobody... I mean, the stuff that I've seen, there's just a never-ending cornucopia of Maryland stuff. And it just... Well, it's, it surprises me for a woman who apparently wasn't that enamored with possessions. She seems to have had a lot of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so they can't even, they can't even uh, attach it to a photograph or any list. I want to see the list that came from her home from both out homes, one in New York and uh, the Bethelena. And there should be, you know, a list of every single thing. Sure, not every single piece of paper, but they're selling like collapsible silver cups and glasses, just <clears throat> things that you don't, you can't, you know, prove. Oh, yeah. And many, I'm many saying, thousands. People just like to make a buck off of Marilyn. Even the well, uh, Marilyn Monroe website is, they have wrong quotes. And I tell them, you know, politely, I message them. That's a wrong quote because I, I try to be polite. They don't take it down. They don't care. They're supposed it doesn't to be, matter. I know. Yeah, they, it, it doesn't matter. They're supposed matter, to be, yeah. you know, the ones who uphold what is correct. So. And when you tell someone that that, that like I told a friend of mine recently, well, Marilyn never said that. And they, they don't, what do you mean she never said it? I said, well, she never said it. She would never have said anything like that. Yeah, you can, you can tell in her, in the tone of what it's meant to be. Like uh, the one about they're ugly if they're not a zero or whatever. People are ugly. And it's just like, she didn't, she didn't yeah. have said that. Zero didn't even exist. In the yeah, 60s. I know. I did a whole podcast on that one. <laughs> that was in, that was it. Uh, a lot. I go. Oh, it'd be so easy. I'll just do that one. No, it never is easy. <laughs> so I'm like, darn it. I have to get. Well, nothing re- re- revolving around Maryland is ever simple. Let's put it <sighs> that know. way. That's you know, sure. everything is very complex. Yeah. Yeah. I just found out here. She uh, in 1962, Jeannie drove a. According to her memoir, she drove a 62 Chrysler 300. It's 18 feet long, six, t- six feet wide. And it had a, a turning circle between curbs was 43 feet. Oh, no and way. And its turning radius was 20 feet, 6 inches. So there's no way <laughs> no. that car could ever made a U-turn. Because the gate would have been fifth. closed. Well, she couldn't have made a U-turn mm-hmm. anyway. Because it yeah. was... Unless it was open. And well, the gate would not have opened. She could have pulled into the entrance court there, the drive court, and then backed back into the cul-de-sac and headed out that way. But she could yeah. never have made a U-turn. No, no, never. Yeah. Yeah. Another one bites the dust. Yeah. What do you feel about the the older ladies playing bridge say, saying that they saw uh, RFK walking well, down the alley? From, 
from my understanding, that is actually hearsay testimony. It didn't come directly from the people. It came from one of the lady's daughters. That is that is handled in the uh, that is handled in the uh, summary report. Her name was her name was Pollard, I believe. At some point, I had to decide what I was going to include and what what, what I wasn't going to include because it's just two hundred and two hundred and twenty five thousand words. You know, you have to do part two. <laughs> well, you kind well, of the did. one I the one I one I published in two thousand nineteen is even more than than that. And I'm currently thinking about another another edition of the of Marilyn. Yeah. Oh, and uh, what what does that surround? Well, it's just an update of this stuff with more information. I've downloaded more FBI files, and uh, particularly about the Thomas Cutchell affair, where uh, Clemens and and uh, Capel were slandering the. Senator, because he was a he was a Bobby Kennedy ally in getting the 1964 Civil Rights Act passed. You know they, that's actually what ended Capel's career and what ended uh, um, Capel's career. I mean Capel's career and Clemens' career mm-hmm. was that yeah. incident. Yeah, he, um, I spoke with uh, Jack Clemens, first officer on the scene, oh, you for did? several hours. Oh yeah, I have interviews with him as well. He was an interesting. And what did he? S- what did he say? <laughs> we he already still, know what he said. He was still going along the lines of it was a murder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did he talk about the uh, washing of the of the sheets and the and the washing machine yes. that Marilyn didn't own? Yes. Yeah, she didn't even have a washing machine. She didn't have a dryer. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, if you if you follow a lot of the testimony in various books, there was no water to Mar- Marilyn's house that night either. Yes. Because it had been cut off. Well, if it had been cut off, how could Eunice Murray have been washing clothes in a washing machine? And, and they only say it's been cut off because they want to eliminate Marilyn's ac- access to water. That way she, she couldn't had, have swallowed the pills. And she obviously had a Mexican water jug on her on the floor of, uh, next to her nightstand. Yeah, right, right next to her nightstand, and there's a glass yeah. right there, too. Yeah, it's on top of it, so it's like the Well, there's lid. a glass even to the right of the garbage can. There is a glass yeah. there. The frost. But not only that, didn't Marilyn have access to, like, uh, grapefruit juice or orange juice or Coca-Cola or milk? So even if, they even if the champagne. water... Well, she, did, she obviously didn't use champagne because she hadn't imbibed <laughs> any sort of any No, sort she of didn't alcohol. have alcohol in her system. That's no. Right. But anyway, the point being is that to say she couldn't have swallowed those pills because there was no water precludes the, the likely possibility that she could have gotten a liquid somewhere else. Yeah. Or, I mean, from her refrigerator. Yeah. Yeah. She had Pat Newcomb over the night, day before or during the day. I don't think, you know, you would really have a guest over with no plumbing. Well, I just don't look. I was an architect for, for for many years, and you don't cut off the water to somebody's house and leave it off, or cut cut the water off to a building and leave it off. Now they may have cut the water off at some point during the day to do something, but they would never have left it off all night. That's a totally unsanitary situation. Yeah, they just wouldn't have done that. I don't believe. 
Um, besides, there's just no proof that there was no water. How did, nobody's ever proven it to me or yeah, proven it at, at all. You know what I'm saying? Well, there was no water. Well, that doesn't mean anything. Prove it. Yeah. I mean, could it have been her, her um, Eunice Murray who turned off the main water? But why? What were they doing? It couldn't well, have been you know, like planting all, the trees that she got some shrubbery. Well, that's why you have that's why you have cutoff valves on all of your sinks and all of your fixtures, so that you don't have to cut the water off to the house. You can cut off the fixture. Okay. So if you ha- if if and I know the house was built in 1929, but even in 1929, they had cutoff valves for fixtures. That's that's not a new invention. So I doubt very seriously that there would have been any reason to cut off the water supply to the house. Even if they were replacing a sink, they could have cut the sink water supply off to the sink and replaced the sink. I've done it many times myself. Sure. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just trying to think what in the house needed, you know, all the water to be turned off. There wasn't. Well, apparently there was a time when they were, when the plumbers I've read were replacing her water heater and they had to cut the water off to the house then and she had to go over to Greenson's I think to wash her hair uh, but that wouldn't certainly wouldn't have required that the water to be turned off all night and all day no yes, they could have replaced the water, the water heater. heater in a matter of hours and maybe she sure. just needed to go wash her hair for she had a date or something I don't know sure or yeah a meeting or yeah, that one's that one's a head scratcher. Yeah, I don't think it was turned off. Well, you know what I find so hilarious about the what we're talking about the the, the seeing Bobby Kennedy at Maryland's house on August the fourth. There is no way Bobby Kennedy was in uh, Los Angeles on August the fourth. No way. It could not have happened. Not even with Gilroy. a helicopter. No, 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 because he was in Gilroy with the Bates, and that was John Bates, his wife, his son, and other people. And John Bates, his wife, his son, and the ranch foreman testified that, that Robert Kennedy never left the, the ranch that weekend. Now, if he had left the ranch, he would certainly have been missed. They had football games. They had a they had a barbecue. They had swimming. They all went horseback riding. And from what I've read about the Bates family, they're not they weren't that type. Okay, he was an attorney, uh, and they just their their reputations were were virtually impeccable from what I've read about them. And I don't think they're the type of people that would have have knowingly involved themselves in murder. They just wouldn't have done it. Um, the travel, the distance in a helicopter is greatly different than an airplane. So a helicopter well, only, would have taken a long time. Well, it would have taken three hours both ways. But not only that, when I looked into the conditions that they would have been flying through, they would have been flying across mountains at night in clouds with the winds Steady winds of 21 miles an hour and gusts even higher than that. That would have been an incredibly dangerous. So 
situation in a helicopter for that era. It'd be dangerous for a helicopter today. Yeah. But the helicopters in those days were not anything like we have today. Nothing. But not only that, let's say for a moment that Robert Kennedy left the ranch. He could not have left the ranch without being noticed until 1045. So he would have gotten to, to, to Los Angeles in three hours, which would have been, what, one o'clock in the morning or so? And she would have already passed. By that time, Marilyn was already dead. Yeah. I'm thinking around, well, definitely before midnight. Well, I think she died around 1230. If you, if you take the formulas available for calculating time of death based on liver temperature, it ranges from 930 till 2 o'clock, okay? okay? Cyril Weck said she died probably at 2.30. Okay. I think she died before that. But certainly not much after midnight or 12.30. So if Kennedy had come after 10.30, she was probably already in a coma, because I think she lived a few hours even after she ingested those pills. It didn't, they didn't kill her immediately. That's why there was no residue in her stomach. That's why they were all digested. Because even though she, she became an unresponsive body, lapsed into semi-coma and then coma, her digestive systems would have continued to work. And um, there, there, he whacked and many people that the DA consulted with, many path pathologists, were not really that shocked that there were no pills in Marilyn's stomach. But, you know, the funny thing about that is that all of these conspiracies trot out their own group of pathologists that support their theories, right? It's all selective. We're going to pick the people that support our theories. Yes. But... Um, Several pathologists have said that they weren't surprised that they didn't find pills in her stomach. I watched a really good um, movie that uh, I posted on All About Marilyn. It's, it goes through a couple of the conspiracy theories, and it actually uses science, much like what you did. They show an actress, and they you know have her... They say, okay, now we're going to ingest this into a fake beaker, which is, you know, supposed to be Marilyn's tummy. And they say, okay, we're going to, you know, give her this much. And then they keep doing it. And they show you, I'll link, I'll put a link in the, uh, in the bio or in the body. Yeah, and, I'd like to see that. Uh, yeah, it's really good. And, you know, John Minor is in it, but they kind of, you know, debunk everything. It's really interesting. And it's only about science and she would have died before everything was digested. That's just how it happened. It wasn't, you know, an accident. And like I said, that doesn't sell books. So you think it was an accident? I think she didn't mean to do it. I mean, she has a history of accidentally committing suicide, if you want to call it that. You know, with Arthur Miller, uh, I don't think it was fully intended. I think maybe she was trying to get some sleep. It was probably, you know, 
pretty sad for her knowing that Arthur Miller was pregnant with the, his child a year after they, you know, divorced and, you know, going through with the studio and she just wanted a, a good night's sleep and just went overboard. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'd have to disagree with you. I don't think Marilyn did it accidentally, but that's just my opinion. I do say in the book, I do say in the book that there is a remote possibility that that happened, but I don't think you take that many pills accidentally. True. And and looking at her history of the number of times that she attempted suicide, and then when I read her, her, that book Fragments, and I read about how she thought about jumping out of the, uh, her apartment window into the street and how she thought about jumping from the bridge. And, of course, she mm-hmm. didn't do these things. I'll admit that. Yeah. yeah. But something happened that night. I don't know what, and then nobody will ever know. I know. That, that caused her to do it, maybe in, a, in an impulsive moment. Sure. It could come on a, with a song. Right, um, in, in, a, in, a, a in sort of that rapid. Grouping, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anything could trigger it. And, you know, I'm sure it was on the surface with her sometimes. And maybe it did get too much for her. And Well, I, I think Marilyn was, had sort of come to the conclusion, and it saddened her a lot to realize that she was never going to get away from, from Marilyn Monroe. And I think you understand what I mean. I don't think there was a, uh, a dark psychology here where Norma Jean killed Marilyn. I don't, I don't think that. But I think that Marilyn realized that she was never going to break free of that great persona that she had created. People just didn't want it. I think she was still kind of upset over the kind of negative reviews that the Misfits received. Of course, they're totally different now. Everybody praises the movie. Sure. But it, Hollywood was different in those days. Oh, yeah. You know, it was a different role for her. I don't think it was necessarily the best of her movies. I mean, maybe it's because it's her last and, it's, and it makes me sad. But I don't know. I still think she, she still had a, a better vehicle uh, coming in her future. She just had to wait. If she, if she could have held out. Mm-hmm. You know? a, a lot yeah. like Peg Whistle who committed suicide jumping off the H of the Hollywood sign, Hollywood land sign. And, really? You know, oh, yeah. She got a letter the very next day with a roll, a plum roll. And it's just, you know, fate that happens that way. It's sad. Very sad. You know, a lot of the conspiracists have said that Marilyn had so much going for her, there was no reason for her. To, to kill I believe herself. that. I believe that. Well, I, I think that they're totally wrong. Why? Because, well, because the way that I've had it explained to me is that if you're a person who has those urges, that they hit you all of a sudden, that the only way out of what you perceive to be a miserable life, and Marilyn often said her life was, she, she was generally miserable. Yes, that that quote. Right. That yes. those thoughts of, of getting away from the pain of getting away from it and using suicide to do it, 
that thought and that urge is not mitigated at all by what's going on in your life. Oh, yeah, sure. She, um, how can I say it? It doesn't help at the moment when she's in that. But it's a momentary urge. Yeah. Yeah. And nothing matters. Right. And it's just, it's a temporary fix. You can't see beyond that pain all of a sudden. Yeah, it's a temporary fix where if you just, you know, wait for the morning and just start all over again. But she didn't have anybody truly to turn to. Joe was supposed to be there, you know. Well, he was out of town. Yeah, he was He was coming to be with her. They were going to spend time together. Not I, that they were going to get married. I don't, I don't follow that either. You don't believe that? No. Um, uh, Michelle know, knew the nursery guy that delivered all the plants, and he said she never mentioned anything, not that she would, but... Um, we had all about Maryland's talk to, you know, Alan Whitey Snyder. And, <laughs> and they were tight. It wasn't just like, I'll let your oh, hair hair knows for sure. oh, yeah. I, well, I, don't, know. I don't know. I have been called down uh, by certain individuals in the Maryland community when I have said that uh, I could see that happening. Yes. Because of that note she was, had, was, was composing to Joe that they found yeah. stuff in that book. Now, mm-hmm. I've been told that I'm a I'm an idiot for thinking that, but you know, I don't I don't really know. No, well, that's Here's where we, the, that's where I differ from a lot of different, I don't know, groups or whatever. I allow people to have their own thought on it and maybe it'll change mine. I just like to keep the communication going back and forth because who knows, we might stumble on something. Well, but nobody really knows for sure, sure. what happened sure. in that bedroom. And nobody really knows for sure what was going, what was happening in Marilyn's mind. I mean, mind. Marilyn was a, she was a gifted actress. And she could consistently fool people, right? And she consistently fooled people. I'm not saying she was necessarily a deceptive person. No. But I think she had to keep that persona alive of Marilyn Monroe. But that really wasn't her no you you can i like the real marilyn in her interviews the one she's wearing a black suit that's my favorite interview but the interview where it's not marilyn is the um one with milton green the person to person yes so unlike her in her voice and everything she's not comfortable oh you're Uh, talking about the television program with mm -hmm. um yeah. Yeah, she seemed very uncomfortable. Yeah, Edward R. Murrow. Uh, Edward R. Murrow, yeah. Person to person. I mean, he's a great, you know, interviewer, but she was doing too much of Marilyn. Whereas the other interviews, she's not Marilyn so much. Uh quick with her quips and she's very intelligent. Very intelligent, for sure. Mm-hmm. She's not a dumb blonde. Even <laughs> Anthony Summers admitted that. <laughs> <laughs> what the summer report says about the um, sighting of Robert Kennedy. Did Robert Kennedy, accompanied by a doctor, visit Marilyn Monroe's residence on August the 4th in 1962? The reports containing this allegation are based on double and triple hearsay and are of limited evidentiary value. Once again, this springs from our good friend Robert Slatzer. 
Slatcher states that he interviewed a Miss Elizabeth Pollard who related to him that Robert Kennedy and an unidentified male believed to be a physician were seen at the Monroe residence on August the 4th. The author provided our investigators with a transcript of the statement made by the purported witness. The witness informant actually said that her mother told her that Robert Kennedy had been seen at the residence on an unspecified day. Kennedy was allegedly seen by someone while the witness's mother was attending a card party at a residence near the Monroe residence. The witness could not recall whether her mother said she actually saw Kennedy or whether she said that someone else had told her that he had seen Kennedy. Anyway, the point, I'm, the point being is that none of this is firsthand. It's all hearsay. Uh, and anything that springs from Slatzer's head concerning Marilyn's death has to be considered suspect. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, our, in, our investigators independently located another person who had information concerning a visit by Robert Kennedy. This lady, again, quoting statements of others. In this case, her grandmother said that her grandmother reported seeing Robert Kennedy in the neighborhood in an open Cadillac convertible at the time of a publicized visit to the Monroe residence. Now, I don't know of any time Robert Kennedy went by himself. I'm not going to say it never happened, but I don't know of it. The only time I know or, or have been able to confirm that Kennedy was at Fifth Helena was with the Lawfords on, I think, June the 27th in 62. That would be the only time I was able to confirm. Now, doesn't that, that ties into the letter, she's 92. Are you talking about Jean Kennedy Smith? Yes. And, yeah. and people are trying to tie that letter she wrote, I saw the letter, that Marilyn and RFK were having an affair. And uh, an item, the new item, a, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, the new item. And it was just a silly play with um, Marilyn had said hello to Jack Sr. Kennedy. And um, what a great time they had. It was a very well, innocent. Uh, yeah, very. not only that, I understand that <clears throat> after the party, the Lawfords started uh, spinning some twist records, and there, there was a lot yeah. of impromptu dancing. And apparently Marilyn tried to teach RFK how to dance the twist. Yeah. This is what all the ruckus was about. It had nothing to do with no. them but having you can an affair. See how they how they twist everything. Well, of course, it's evidence creation. It's it's a it's a common thing that conspiracists do, particularly relative to Marilyn's death, and that is create evidence where evidence didn't really exist. Didn't exist, yeah. 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 And who wouldn't want Marilyn to come to their house for a visit? Exactly. You know, the fact that Gene Kennedy Smith said, why don't you come back east with, with Bobby when he comes home, has been construed into the fact that all of the Kennedy women approved of this affair. Phew, that was a lot to take in, I know, with Dr. Greenson and how he weaved and tangled Eunice Murray in the entire scenario of the last months of Marilyn's life. What Anthony Summers presented to the public was pure fiction and dragging Marilyn through the mud with the threat of publishing or not publishing more post-mortem photographs. But he said to me, personally, to me, he has them. 
We also had a good laugh at the expense of Jeannie Carmen with her assertion that she was on Fifth Helena the morning of Marilyn's death. Anyone who's been to or have even seen a photograph of the cul-de-sac knows that this is impossible to maneuver such a large car as hers. The unprofessionalism of Marilyn's three doctors who were prescribing, and we can say over-prescribing, medication to Marilyn. We went over June DiMaggio's complete fabrication of her book and the auction items she peddled, as well as the concern of the endless supply of items the Strasburg seemed to have and sell of Marilyn's. Also, touch on Mrs. Pollard. She was the woman who was said to have seen RFK along with the other ladies who were playing a game of bridge who saw RFK walking down the cul-de-sac to Marilyn's home. Hearsay, second hand, or as Donald says, evidence creation. The ladies were never interviewed firsthand, nor were they ever put on the record anywhere other than by unreliable sources. To the Thomas Cutchell affair, which ended both Jack Clemens and Capel's careers. If you haven't read about this, you should, and it goes into more detail in McGovern's book. We go briefly into the water access, or lack thereof, due to the water being shut off. Marilyn, regardless, was not without water, because there was a Mexican water jug next to her bed. Notably, there was never any proof that the water had ever been turned off. If you have that information, we'd like to hear it. Another curious thing is, if all the water was turned off, why did Jack Clemens say her sheets were in the washing machine? Uh-huh. Covering Marilyn's last hours and the possibility of her passing, even if RFK had made it to Fifth Helena by 1030, Marilyn, regardless, would have been in a coma. And definitely, she would have passed before or near 12.30 a.m. The movie I mentioned, I'll post a link for all of you to view, is very interesting because it goes through several scenarios and debunks the theories through science, just as Donald has in his book. What are your thoughts about Marilyn's death? Suicide, accidental, or probable suicide? I want to believe that she didn't take her life, like many of us. It's a lot to process, and even more to accept. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned to the next show for when we'll have more about our favorite icon. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.